In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. And since we say this phrase all the time, you know, we say that the, the two co most common phrases we say is, well, one is Christ is amidst us. And the response, anybody know the response? Is and ever shall be. And we say, Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory, glory And we say, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. I can't hear it. Christ is risen. So, you know, we are in the process of meeting new people, people come to the church, people becoming catechumens, people coming to classes. People joining the church. We have baptism planned for January 14th. So far, two. Emmeline and Thomas. If he's here somewhere. And the idea is that they are entering the fullness of Jesus Christ's church. So now just keep that in mind as I go through the parable. So the parable is about the man who had had a great harvest, so great that all he could think about was, I'm going to tear down my barns and build some other barns. I need bigger barns. I'll have enough to eat, drink, and be merry. And then the Lord comes to him and says, Well, thou fool. He calls him a fool. Thou fool. This day your soul will be required of you. And you will not inherit those goods or anything therein. And so that seems like an obvious sort of a story, that uh, obvious thing is that we're supposed to be generous and offering goods and we're supposed to be tithing to the church, we're supposed to be helping support the work of Jesus Christ's ministry on this, the west side of Los Angeles. That's what we're supposed to do. And many, many here, and I'm, I'm all of you, contribute in some way or another to that end. But this is really how we think about the materiality of this world. What we actually need or what we don't need to sort of to, to get by. Because quite often, we get so used to the comforts that we provide ourselves ourselves with, that we forget that actually we don't need most of what we have. That's why they have estate sales after people leave this world. They have accumulated so much that they have to sell it off at bargain prices where it goes. And then one of the greatest scenes in the Christmas Carol where Scrooge, after the third ghost comes to, the third spirit comes to him, and leads him into his bedroom and he sees the maid who had served him faithfully for all those years and yet had no warmth in her heart for him takes the curtains and the sheet and the blanket off of him and when asked about that she said well he won't need it now and uh, so she takes that and she sells them for what, what she can get for them the materiality of this world is very, very cumbersome. And so we have things, you know, I always remember that when I got married, I had 
a case about this big by this big and this wide. And in it I had icons, by the way, as well. And it's all I had. Those are all the material possessions I had when I got married at the age of 34. Now it would take a truck to carry out all the stuff that I had in my possession. 99% of it, I don't need hardly any of it. And yet, we accumulate. This is the time of Christmas in the West, is a time of, of accumulation where we get, the, you know, our children get the latest presents, our children get all the latest stuff that's going on or, or needed, you know, your clothes you may or may not need, whatever, just to say that it's a time of giving. But the church also takes note that it's a time of giving to those who have no comfort. To have, they have no comfort whatsoever. There are so many people, all you have to do is walk out here, walk down the street, and you look out on that little island, and there's at least two or three people gathered there almost every day. One guy selling flowers, and two others asking for, um, for donations to the people that drive by. I mean, it's a very risky place. Imagine the gas fumes and the brake fumes that they have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And they do it to survive. Whatever it takes to survive. And sometimes we have a tendency to judge them thinking they're all alcoholics or they're all drug addicts. Well, they might be drug addicts because they can't afford insurance in order to afford the pills that are required to meet their need. For instance, after I had my uh, heart condition, the AFib attack, immediately they put me on a drug that thins the blood so I won't get a blood clot. That bottle of that drug, if I didn't have insurance, would cost $500 for one month. One month supply, $500. I have insurance, so it's 35 which is a real bargain, you know? But it's 35 with, without, 500 And that's kind of the way it is that we can't possibly understand why people self-medicate themselves around here why they're willing to live in such squalid conditions under in a tent by the side of a freeway or something. It just isn't what you plan when, you, when you're graduating college and, you're, and you're, you're ready to bloom and grow. You don't think, of, well, I'm going to get a tent and live next to the uh, freeway. No one thinks that way. They think, oh, I'm going to get a job. It's going to pay me so much money. and I'm going to have a one or two bedroom apartment to start, but with the hope of getting more. More is the hope. And that's kind of how we're taught to live in this sort of society. But the Lord tells us, when we are rich, when God has rained harvest upon you, that is more than you need, what are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to share it. Father Seraphim Rose would say that, you know, if all the people just took care of the one next to them, the, the person who's broken next to them, then there would be no need for social programs to feed the needy, the hungry, the poor, and the destitute because they would get their needs met by the one next to them. And if we thought of ourselves in that same capacity that we will take care of the one next to us, last, last week I believe we heard the parable of the, or in the last week we heard the parable of the, um, of the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. And we already know that the Good Samaritan what did he do? He took the broken person, poured oil and wine or healing 
mercy and love. And he took them to an inn, and he set him in that inn, and he said, any expenses that come as a result after I leave, don't worry, I'll, co I'll come back and cover it. And of course, the Father's talking about the second coming of Christ, when you will be held accountable for all those things you did or didn't do. Did you come back and did you nurture the person who was broken and, and suffering? We also are at this time, a time where we um, renew our pledges to the church. Uh, we have today out there an, uh, uh, a letter and, um, and, a, and a form to fill out for everyone here and anyone else you might know who would want to support the work of, uh, that we're doing here. And I'll tell you what that work is just so you understand it, because I know you feel it and you experience it, so I'm not telling you things you don't know. Yesterday, someone who hadn't been to our church yet, but she's, I've known her for a long time, she uh, popped in and she immediately was sort of taken by the whole thing. And what she said to me afterward was, well, this is really a warm place. It's really warm. Yeah. Why is it warm? Because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present here at all times. And people who just even walk through are touched by that very presence, by that very love that they feel that exudes here, that is beyond any capacity that any of us have to love. God fills the void. He fills it. And he has filled it abundantly from the first day when we opened up here, when there was still wood stacked in the back that we had to have the bookstore built and it was all in the back of the church and with nails looking every every other direction and then and, and yeah we had quite a few people those first uh that first uh, couple months and we were in the middle of construction because as soon as you celebrate the divine liturgy the liturgy of uh, that god provides us the food and the drink that we need as soon as you you you, you break ground with that then everything else fills in around it. It doesn't. It's not dependent on the perfect place. When I was in Romania, I saw the. I went to the cave of where Saint Andrew, the apostle, um, lived for a period of time with a group of people, and they literally slept in the caves. And you know, and then the monastery built up around where that where those caves are now. There's a monastery. It's called the, uh, of, the, uh, of the Cave. It was a brand new monastery in Romania. And it was a very warm, blessed area. You could just tell. And so I walked into the monastery, and there was a rock. It was about this big. It's about to my waist. And it was about this wide. Pretty big rock. And it was under this table, which I didn't know why it was under a table, but it just it was under a table. And they were, um, the, the monk was speaking to somebody else who was speaking Romanian, and I'd been up for hours. So, you know, I had hardly any sleep at all. And so I was tired, and so I started dozing off. My son George was with me. And I said, you know, he, he had uh, this kind of thing on his face that was kind of ugly, and he was a teenager, so he was very conscious about having this thing on his face. And so we tried, like, you know, all kinds of stuff to, to get it to go away. It wouldn't go away. So I'm looking at this rock, and it looks like water is spilling all over this rock. It's just water is flowing 
but I'm not seeing where it's going to. But it's just there's there's water. Seems like there's kind of a heavy water, not like just regular water, but kind of a heavy water. And I'm feeling this moisture. And then finally, I said to the person who's only speaking Romanian, I said, "Is is this water or what?" And they started laughing. They said, "Oh no, no, that's myrrh. That's myrrh streaming from that rock." And I went, "Oh my God, myrrh streaming from I." I'd never heard of it, you know? And so I said, and, and so I had walked into a um, hole earlier that day and, my, and I had kind of a minor concussion. So I had this big red spot right on my forehead and my son had this big spot on his, you know, on his, on his cheek. You know, we were not doing well. And <laughs> so anyway, long and short of it is this, that I took that myrrh and I put it on the on the red, this big old red spot on my head, and he put it on his, you know, his face. I, I put a lot on, just to say I put a lot. And so we then we forgot about it, and about a few hours later we were leaving the monastery, and I looked at George's face and it was completely gone. It was completely gone. And I felt from my bump in my head, it was completely gone. It was not there. It was not present. Now this is just liquid that flows from a rock, okay? Myrrh of some kind. No scent to it at all. Just flowing from a rock. And, and with no expectation that it was going to take away the spot or the bump. But it happened. Why? Because God is good. Because God loves me, and he, I guess he didn't want me to be seen everywhere with a big bump on my head. Whatever it was, it was in his, you know, in his place to do. I certainly couldn't take credit for it. I couldn't say, well, yeah, it automatically shrunk because I put my hand on No, I couldn't take credit for any of it. In fact, there are so many things that happen in my life that, you, that I can't take credit for that I have to give glory to God for all things. But we think sometimes that when we have strife or struggle or we're looking for a job and we can't find one or whatever it is that, that comes our way, we think that somehow we can do something that will make a difference. But there's only one thing you can do if you want to make a difference, and that is pray. Be connected to Jesus Christ. He is, after all, the sustainer of all living things. And for us, we want so much to be with Him in all things. We want nothing to separate us from His love. And so we practice, you know, like um, we practice the, um, the idea of unseen warfare where we battle the thoughts that want to control our mind and our heart and our, and, and our actions. We battle against those things. We don't let them take root in us and so that they become not just a distraction, but they become just, in fact, uh, an obsession. So much that you can't do anything but those things. And that's the kind of world we live in. People have these thoughts that, that are going around their head, and sometimes they own those thoughts. Sometimes they say, oh, I, I like that thought. That thought's a good one. I'm going to keep that one. And they take it and boom, and it burrows in to your heart and takes control of you. That thought, it doesn't matter what that thought is, unless it's glorifying God, or loving your neighbor as yourself, 
unless it's those two things, it's not really going to be helpful, unless it is to help somebody. So it's important that we use the gifts and the talents and that which we have in our bank account to help support the work of Jesus Christ in this world. He wants us to bless the poor, the needy, the suffering, the hungry. He wants us to donate and to give and to tithe to the church to support the work of the priest and, and, and the bookstore and all the things that go with it. And so when you're asked to support and give, we're hoping that you're going to be generous because God has been generous with you. He's been very generous with you. You're still breathing. You're still standing. You're still able to do things like go to work. You're still able to walk. You're still able to get into a car and drive. You're still able to have a car. You're still able to have an apartment. No, you're able to have a house. You're able to have a whatever you have. But one thing you don't want to make the mistake of, if he, if he rains down so much good in you that you don't decide to tear down your house and build one twice as big, that would be a bad scenario. In other words, share, share. You're responsible for all that God gives to you, all that he gives to you, the talents, the gifts, the blessings that he pours on you. You're responsible as a steward to give those things out as is needed. And that is exactly what the holy apostles did in their life. They gave out blessings, blessing, blessing. It's called the cave of St. Andrew because in that cave, when they needed water and there wasn't a nearby river, they simply prayed and water came up from the ground. And it still comes up from the ground today, every day, always. It pours out. And I actually drank some of that water that was there that was blessed by the Holy Apostle Andrew. So what a blessing it is for all of you that you are, that you, if you are Orthodox, you've prepared yourself for Holy Communion, that you will come today and receive of His Holy Body and Blood. And you will take that as gift of life that can never leave you, that will always stay with you. You have that gift of life that you'll be able to carry it out both in your interactions with the people the blessing of, the, of all the people that come to church, and then as you leave the church, the blessings that come with touching the lives of others outside of here. Maybe it's you go home and you see some your roommate or you see somebody else, someone you can pass a blessing on to. But the concept is just simple. Give, help, love, restore. restore help restore people to the fullness of that God made them in. And give glory to God for all things. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever.